Thank you, Betty. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us so far this morning. It's been a, a wonderful morning. I hope that your week has gone decently, um, that you're able to reflect a little bit on some of the things that we've been talking about as a church, whether it's forgiveness, gratitude, or being a little bit more kingdom-minded this week. These were distinctions and qualities that we talked about um, for every disciple that we should be living out in our lives. Um, there's always things that we need to be incorporating, things that we can be improving upon, as we have talked about through Luke 17. And in, as we move on to Luke 18 today, we're going to be doing similar things. We're going to be seeing some of these qualities. We're going to be seeing some of these um, things that we need to be focusing on as disciples, points that need to be ingrained into our lives, that we need to live and breathe, uh, qualities uh, that we should be showing as recipients of his grace to show the world our, Christ, uh, our Christ-likeness. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to get right into it in Luke 18, and we're going to read the first eight verses. Beginning in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Father, as we go to your word today and we continue to see your truths, I just pray that you would help us to um, have open hearts and minds, Lord, that we could search your, your ways more often in our life. In your name we pray, amen. So we kind of pick up where we left off at the end of 17 where he is still speaking to his disciples. And the emphasis of this teaching is to encourage them now for the, the time period here, but also for when, they would be, when he would be away from them. And this time skip is kind of pointed out there at the bottom in verse 8 when he speaks of when the Son of Man comes. You know, and within this teaching, Luke gives the point of the teaching first, and he gives it plainly. It's not in hidden language. It's not difficult for us to understand. It seems like it's a, a pretty easy principle to live by, right? And if you live by this principle well, I mean, you have my blessing. You can go. Uh, if you understand this, and you'll probably get a call from me later this week for some lunch and uh, time for me to pick your brain a little bit. But you know, we, we ought to always pray and not lose heart. 
Jesus gives a parable in this passage about this teaching. It's something that Paul backs up in a lot of his teachings, you know, to pray without ceasing. It's our privilege, it's our honor to be able to pray. It's our duty in that we ought to pray. Again, it's backed by many New Testament writings which tell the believers to also persevere, to stay faithful to the Lord, to not lose heart, to cry out to God. You know, this mentality, though, I think can be challenging for us at times. Because when we think about whether or not we're always praying, we can tend to focus on how we're not. And then we can begin to get down on ourselves and we lose heart. And it becomes a little cyclical thing in our life where we get in those types of patterns. So quickly, I want to look at these two areas and just address some of those failings that we might experience. The first, to always be in prayer. I mean, do we always pray? And what does always even mean? Does it mean every waking moment of our life we need to be in prayer? Let's first just kind of take a step back and assess your prayer life. How would you... How would, you wait, or how would you understand how your prayer life exists today? Do you only pray if there's an emergency, if there's a point of desperation? Do you pray only before meals or before bedtime? You know, do you think that prayer needs to be eloquent, that it has to have these nice words and it has to flow well? Does it have to be out loud in front of people? Do you have to have your eyes closed? And should it be in the confines of our own home and not on the street corner like the Pharisees? You know, as you think about that, I had to stop praying in the car after my fourth accident because my eyes were closed. You know, the officers just didn't understand. You know, sometimes we think that prayer has to be this formula, that it has to be a certain way, and we get nervous when it comes to prayer. We get nervous about praying out loud in front of other believers because we might say something wrong or we might not say it just right. You know, we, we have fear to where prayer is all up here and it's not as much right here. You know, some of the greatest prayers I've heard come from children because they just, they don't care. They're just talking to God like he's a friend. They're just saying what's on their heart. They're not worried about what everybody else is thinking. You know, prayer, it's a wonderful gift that we've been given, that we have access before the throne. It's a way to communicate with God, to understand his heart, to praise him, to worship him, asking for wisdom, asking for guidance, being in line with his will, giving our petitions and requests. And this thing about always being in prayer, you know, it's more so along the lines of how the things of God need to be on our minds constantly, how we need to be in line with his will, looking at what he desires and not what we desire, checking our hearts when it comes to those types of motivations. What are our words, what are our actions actually reflecting? Is it our own hearts or is it the heart of God? And you know, when you become a new believer, this could be slow at first. You, you are still kind of throwing off things of the world, but as you mature in the faith, you, you get better at it. You get an understanding of what your pri- where your priorities need to be. You know, and, and somewhere in the middle of all that, life happens and you can stagnate here and there. You can have moments where it's a little bit slower. So this is an area where all of us continue to grow in our lives. Now this second point of not losing heart, 
almost equally as difficult as the first thing, where there can be ups and downs for sure in our prayer life. Where times life can be chaotic, we can have some emergencies going on, and we're desperate in prayer, and we understand that. But you know, when life is going good, maybe our prayer life suffers a little bit because everything's under control, everything's being handled, and we slack off a bit. But the losing heart, you know, if we're not in prayer, if we're not in the Word, it is easier to lose heart. Where we're not as firm in our purposes, on His promises, on what, and understandings of what the Word says. Most commonly, I see this losing heart when it comes to negative responses in our prayer life. You know, where we pray for something and we do not receive. And we begin to falter, we begin to fear, we begin to doubt because we don't understand. Our faith gets shaky. And that's a hard thing to live through. You know, both of these points kind of go hand in hand. The more time that you're spending in prayer, um, the better that you're going to be at not losing heart. It doesn't mean that you'll never lose heart because things can always happen that create fear in your, in your minds. Things can always happen that doubt can creep in. Where we're focusing on the things around us rather than the Father. You know, we have to understand that our strength uh, in our heart comes from our focus on Him, on His Word, on His truth. Understanding that a way to do that is through prayer, through praying over the Word. And this teaching moment here is placed before this parable, I think, for a very specific reason. Because it's going to alleviate some doubts or fears that the disciples will have that are going to be meant um, and picked up through this teaching that's going to be coming. So Jesus gives them this parable. And this parable, I think, is similar to the one where Jesus gives about the man who comes late at night and knocks on the door asking for bread. Where it's a parable that doesn't show the similarities between the judge and the God and God, but rather um, the contrasts. You know, we're not to have an approach of prayer where we just constantly badger God in order to get what we want. That was not the point of this. Instead, it shows how an unrighteous judge finally hears this appeal of the woman who persistently seeks justice. Whereas the flip understanding of that is how much more will Father who loves you, who, who wants you to come to him, hear your prayers? Again, similar to the other parable, if you fathers, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who love him? So let's break this down a little bit, looking at the judge. The judge, um, you know, he's a man who does not fear God. He does not respect his fellow citizens. Uh, He doesn't even want to listen to her request. He's identified as an unrighteous judge. Unrighteous meaning wicked. You, know, you think of the opposite of, of that, being righteous. A righteous person would, ha- would be morally just. They would be doing the right things. They would be honest. They would be virtuous. But he is not that way. He looks to his own power, his own reputation over judging honestly or rightly. He doesn't really care about her requests at all. He simply wants to shut her up. He's tired of the constant nagging, the bothering, the badgering, the begging, this continuing to come to her or to come to him for justice. I think if you've 
had children, you understand what the judge is going through after the 178th time of the day asking for sweets. Sometimes you just break down and you give in and you give them what they want. Other times you go off the handle and you yell at them a little bit. I think both instances showing our own unrighteous natures at times. But we look at this judge and you wouldn't want to compare him to God. You look at his unrighteousness. Instead, you would want to understand this as a contrast, and that's very important for us. Uh, Very quickly, let's look at the widow. She wants justice against her adversary. Now, an adversary is an opponent. It is an enemy. It is somebody that opposes you, that causes conflicts or disputes. And it seems like it's a legitimate request to listen to. You think about widows in this time frame especially, uh, this would be a person that is completely dependent on, uh, on, the, on society, society to help take care of her. Uh, they were a picture of helplessness. And the church, the Jews, in both instances, they are called in Scripture to take care of the widows and the orphans. So we, we understand her plight a little bit. She has this issue, and she continues to come before the judge until it is resolved. She shows a constancy, a fervency in her appeals to the one who is supposed to rectify her situation. Eventually it gets done, um, and again, it's done in a way that would just not give the judge a black eye, so to speak. That's what's meant in terms of uh, the, by the beating down comment there in verse 5. So this is a scenario, again, that is going to be contrasted very quickly to the nature of God and what God does for his elect. So contrasting against this unrighteous judge, Jesus says, and will not God give justice to his elect? You know, the woman wanted justice against her adversary. Here, the way that Jesus is saying this, it's an assumed promise that God will give justice to his elect. As you look at the start of verse 8, We also see that this justice will happen speedily. So again, just highlighting some of these contrasts a little bit more of what we know of God. We see that the judge is unrighteous, but God is righteous. The judge wants nothing to do with this woman other than for her to be far away from him. Whereas God says, come to me. The widow is a stranger to the judge. But God's praying people are his elect, the ones whom he knows, loves, delights in, the one whom he shows concern for. The judge doesn't want to be beaten down by this woman, whereas Jesus is beaten for our sakes. Now, more than likely, this passage and and the point is going to be dealing with a look towards the end times in terms of our understanding of justice. And we'll get to that in a little bit more, in a a moment, in a little bit more deeper. Because I think with that understanding in mind, understanding more about the end times, people do wrestle with this passage in terms of the justice and the speedy nature of it. They play the games of, well, why haven't I received yet? Where are you, Lord? What's going on here? I don't understand. We want our justice now. And we want our justice in the way that we perceive it to come. You know, we look around us today and we see the turmoil in our communities, in our nation. 
And we cry out to God, desiring justice. Asking those same questions, what is going on here? You know, as we read through the Bible, we see God's people crying out to him all the time, desiring justice, desiring answers. We can look to many of the books of the prophets, we can look to the Psalms, and we see many Psalms where David is crying out against his enemies, wanting justice from God, wanting vengeance, wanting his truth to preside. Where would that justice come from? When would it get there? As I was studying through some of these passages, um, I would recommend Psalm 88 as a good one for you to, to look through this week. I don't know, it's a psalm that's kind of near and dear to my heart. It's a psalm that we prayed quite a bit. Um, but you really see David's heart as he's crying out, um, understanding what he is going through, understanding his purpose and his role in God's plan. And again, just a cursory reading through the Psalms and you see this attitude with David. But in the Old Testament, people needed to wait while God worked out the justice. We see the prophets, we see the kings crying out to God for these things, for relief from their adversaries in the present. They also cried out for the hope of the promised Messiah to come. Their hope was in that promise. Then if you fast forward to the church, you know, we have this understanding that the victory is already won, that justice comes through Christ. And you can see through the New Testament, through the church, that there's this look towards the hope, the, the hope of the second coming, where we're waiting his return. And just like those in the Old Testament, we too can add up those years and think, how long, O Lord? We can begin to lose heart with his promises, with what we may call slowness. You know, it's not as speedily as we want it to come. But as we talked about last week with Second Peter chapter 3, God is patient with us, not wanting any of us to perish, but all to come to repentance. James 5 verse 7 says, Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And as I said at the beginning of this message, the point of prayer is not to sway God or to challenge him about his speediness and getting what you want, but rather it's about changing your heart, your mind to his ways, communicating with him, deepening that relationship so you understand his will and his desires more. Another passage that I chewed on this week was Revelation 6, 9 through 11. This is where the martyrs are underneath the altar. And they are crying out, When will you avenge us? How long, O Lord? And he says, Wait a little while longer. It's coming. But I want you to think about that for a minute. Because I think that their situations can be very prevalent for our futures. You think about the martyrs under the altar and what they went through in terms of the fact that they died for their faith. Have you ever thought about what their prayers were like? What their requests would have been? Maybe even in their last moments. For most of them, we probably won't really know. 
We can read things like Voices of the Martyrs. We can read scriptures to see some ideas, to get some hearts uh, of the people that have died for the faith. You know, but when you think about scripture and the known cases of martyrdom, or at least, you know, intense suffering, um, persecution for their faith, there's a few people and a few instances that we can point to. Today I want to look at three in particular and look at some of the differences. First, we have prayers for safety. Save me from my enemies. We see a prayer for this cup to pass. We see a prayer for, them not, for God to not hold their sin against them. All three of these requests are made. All three of them, in the context, point the reader back to the will of God. You see, the save me type of requests are all over the Psalms. Because David understands and he makes a point to say, who is going to praise you if I go down to the grave? I still have things that I'm going to be doing for you. Lord, save me from my enemies. You are, you are my hope. You are where I am looking to for my salvation. You see, Jesus in the garden, as he is in agony, as he is in suffering, asking for this cup to pass, say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And you see Stephen praying into your hands, I commend my spirit. And to not hold this sin against them as he is being stoned. As you face, if you were to face intense suffering, persecution, even death for your faith, what would your prayer be? You see, one of the, the harder and more subtle parts of this passage revolves around the elect, the faithful ones. The ones who will cry out day and night to the Father. It is a persistent prayer. It is constant. They don't only come to the Father when they're desperate, when it's an emergency. They see it as their duty as believers to cry out to him to have faith in his promised mercy and justice. And you see, the underlying tension about crying out for justice is that there is probably some injustice going on. See, even as the elect, they will be met with opposition and troubles in this world. They will experience suffering at the hands of their adversary, the devil. Some will die for their faith. We are all called to cry out to him. Crying out against those persecutions, those sufferings, crying out for God's justice to come. Even as God promises a speedy form of justice, it may not always be in the way that we're wanting it to happen in because it's God's plan. It's his designs. And we see the same patterns for us today and we are called to faithfully wrestle against the evils and the injustices of this world. We are to always be in prayer, to not lose heart. We are to cry out, believing wholeheartedly that our prayers are heard and that justice will come. Our prayers in this context line up with receiving justice. And as I said, looking more towards the end times and his final justice to come. As he says in the second half of verse 8 there, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This point assumes the negative. 
that he will not find faith. This directs us more to the, the physical second coming, not the rapture. And that faith is the thing that he is looking for. You know, the, I think some parallels, again, more homework or reading if you would like. Some parallels are in the duplicate psalms of Psalm 14 and 53, where God is explaining and describing the foolish man. And again, contrasting that to the righteous person. How the fool says that there is no God. And God is looking over all the earth to see if there are any who seek him. Not finding any because they have all turned away and become corrupt. God is describing the fool in that psalm. Jesus has taught the significance of faith. Even a little faith, as little as a mustard seed. And surely, if it would be there, he would find it. See, constancy in our prayer life, not losing heart, is a quality that we need as believers. And it's something that we need to foster in our body and in our home. This view, I think, is also paralleled to Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7, where he says, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord... Give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. We do not give up in our prayer life. We must believe, just like the widow with the judge, that practicing constancy and persistence uh, is an important thing. Praying for his justice to come, not our version of justice, but desiring his righteousness. As watchmen, We are to be standing at our posts for truth, standing against injustice, constantly seeking his righteousness and guiding others to it as well. We have an opportunity to live this out in many areas of our lives because there's a lot of injustice going on around us. And I think the recent events in our country will continue. Uh, They will continue to wake us up from the slumber that we are in as a church body. Um, I think that our faith is going to have to be something greater than just what we espouse it to be on a Sunday. To where we're going to have to make some hard decisions. You know, rather than um, it's going to become something that we're going to have to live out in the face of pressures, in the face of threats to our families, to our livelihoods. You know, we've had a very comfortable faith in America. Whereas many of our brothers and sisters across the world have not. And we need to learn from them, those who face those types of pressures every day. Right now, there still isn't that type of pressure in America. But we're already getting worried. We're already pretty fearful. So now is the time that we should actually be deepening our faith, understanding what the Word says, standing firm in his promises and his truth, not losing heart. You know, John 14, verse 1 and verse 27 say similar things. Verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know, sometimes we can look to the future And we can think of the worst possible scenarios. 
And fear can enter our minds and just wreck our hearts. It's not what we're called to do. We can go to these extremes and it can terrify us, it can cripple us, it can paralyze us. But we are to not lose heart. We are to continue to call out for justice, not focusing on the things around us in a way that would paralyze us like that, in a way that would distract us from the truth. Because we stand for his truth, like watchmen. We stand for his justice and his righteousness. And we do so because he is victorious and he has promised justice and it will come speedily. Will the church be refined a bit? I think so. And I think it'll be for the good because it's needed to make us stronger. You think of refining and when it happens, it's done as a way to take out the impurities. So I think refinement that happens within the church will only make us stronger. Because it'll cut out the things in our life that we have said are priorities. But they're really not. It'll melt away those things in our life that we're, up, that we're holding up above the Lord. So I don't want us to lose heart in this time. Instead, we should con- continue to cry out for mercy and justice. Continue forward in the mission that he has given us as individuals and as the church. As we celebrate in his victory because the victory is already won and he has given us justice from our adversary and for that I am ready to battle for him let's pray Father as we as we contemplate constancy in prayer and and the point of praying Lord so many times in my own life I have prayed selfishly And I ask, Lord, that you would help me to repent of those times. And, Lord, that I can rather just spend some time sitting in your presence, learning from you rather than telling you what I know. Father, we do look to the world around us. And we thank you for the nation that you have given us. Lord, in many ways, the peace that we have experienced in our lives has made us asleep. Lord, even as threats or the possibilities of pressures that could come down the, the pike, Lord, I just I pray that you would continue to keep us firm in your truth, that we would not lose heart, but rather that we would rejoice as we would have an opportunity to display our faith. Father, we love you we believe in you. We know who you are. We know what you have done. And I always pray for the opportunities to share that with others. Lord, there comes points and times in our lives where the rubber meets the road. And I pray that for your church. Lord, I pray for your refining. Lord, some of it may hurt. Some of it may be hard. But Lord, I trust in you. 
because you are good, because you are righteous, because you are my king and my savior. Lord, my flesh is weak. And I pray that I can live by your spirit who is guiding me in your ways. I pray that I can throw off the things of this culture that have poisoned my mind and my heart. And Lord, that we can be the new creations that you have created us to be, images of your Son. What an awesome gift. What an awesome thing it is to be able to show the world your love. Strengthen us today, Lord, in your word, in your spirit. And these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for our last song. Riches I heed not, nor 